Well, hi, friends. This is Matthew Dowling, and I'm your host for the Preacher Cast, a discussion of Reformed Christianity, the Church, and life in Christ. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the rich theological fruit of the Protestant Reformation. And this is the August 15th, 2020 edition of the Preacher Cast. Today, we'll be looking at a number of items in the news. But before we review the day's news, really the weeks, I will have a book review for you. The book is Flywheel, Flywheel by uh, Eric Wilson and uh, Alex Kendrick, and I'll tell you a little bit about that at the end of the podcast. But before we turn to the podcast, let me remind you that you can check out my blog and take advantage of the resources there, including a daily devotional published each morning. You can access my website at matthewdowling.org. That's matthewdowling.org. And of course, you can subscribe to the Preacher Cast over at anchor.fm. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash preachercast, and you can access previous episodes of the show, including not only the Preacher Cast, but also my weekly apologetics podcast, Three Minutes to a Stronger Faith. Also want to remind you, when you navigate over to anchor.fm slash preachercast, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or on the Google Store and other places like that. So great place to be. Okay, let's turn our attention to this week's news and analysis. All right, we'll begin the news cycle today with uh, the news that Russia wants to make things difficult for Christians. This is, of course, not a surprise in any stretch of the imagination. But last month, the Russian government presented a new bill to ban foreigners and religious leaders who have studied internationally from working with religious organizations in the country. Now, Russia has already been known for prosecuting dozens of people and organizations, mostly evangelical under the country's 2016 anti-missionary laws. Now, John Huntsman, the U.S. ambassador to Russia, commented on Russia's religious freedom violations in an interview with Radio Free Europe last year and said this, quote, We're not only seeing religious organizations shut down, we're seeing individual members punished for their religious beliefs, which goes against everything we in the United States and a whole lot of other countries in this world stand for. Please be uh, in prayer for evangelical missionary efforts in Russia as things there heat up and it becomes much, much more difficult uh, to operate in an environment where religious freedom is violated deeply. Well, speaking of human rights violations, North Korea's human rights violations against 100 women is in the news. The U.N. released a report on human rights violations against 100 women detained in North Korea between 2009 and 2019. Women who try to flee the country, it turns out, are subjected to torture, abuse, and even forced abortion and infanticide. And escapees who return to North Korea are often systematically punished, especially those who try to reach South Korea or contact Christian groups. And so we need to be in prayer for the church in that country. Next news item is uh, the, the knowledge that America racked up nearly $3 trillion more debt in fiscal year 2020. 
In fact, the U.S. budget deficit reached a record $2.81 trillion during the first 10 months of the 2020 fiscal year, according to the Treasury Department. Turns out the government spent trillions of dollars trying to revive the American economy during coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky told Fox News he does not support the unprecedented debt levels, saying this, quote, We're going to borrow $5 trillion in five months. I remember when conservatives complained about George W. Bush borrowing $5 trillion over the course of eight years. Let me remind you, listeners, that Proverbs 22, verse 7 says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Well, in our next item of news, we learned that a Pennsylvania church recently met in Walmart since the store was deemed essential and the church itself felt like their worship would be essential. Of course, this is part of a pattern around our country right now. Churches are finding unconventional ways to meet and worship during the discriminatory coronavirus lockdowns. And as it turns out, a church in North Versailles, Pennsylvania, met inside a Walmart back in the month of June. The state considered the church non-essential while considering Walmart stores essential. And so a group held a worship service uh, there at that time. Another group calling themselves Evangelicals for Trump recently held a worship service at a Las Vegas hotel and casino last week. The reason for that is that the state of Nevada currently bans Christian gatherings of over 50 people, but allows casinos to operate at a less strict 50% capacity. Well, speaking of the oppression of religious worship here in the United States, it turns out California churches are getting persecuted for in-person services. We find out uh, in the news that churches who hold hold these in-person services are facing legal battles. In fact, California's Ventura County asked a judge to hold Pastor Rob McCoy and his church, the God Speak Calvary Chapel, in contempt of court for holding services despite a temporary restraining order. However, good news, the judge did deny a request by the county for the sheriff to shut down the church. And you've also probably heard that California Pastor John MacArthur of Grace Community Church is also facing fines and even arrest for holding in-person services. He told CNN that the state's restrictions are unconstitutional and discriminatory, saying this, quote, Our people know life is being restricted in a way that is not constitutional, that is burdensome, that is targeting a church, and that makes no sense in light of the actual numbers of deaths that they are seeing. Let me remind you, dear listener, Psalm 122 and verse 1 says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And before the break, one more news item, Amazon Prime. It turns out the uh, online streaming service affiliated with uh, Amazon, Amazon Prime memberships and the Amazon Corporation censored a movie called Babies Are Still Murdered Here. Pro-life filmmaker Marcus Pittman is raising concerns of censorship after Amazon Prime Video removed his movie Babies Are Still Murdered Here, supposedly over poor reviews, despite the film getting overwhelmingly positive reviews. In fact, amongst the 334 reviews on Amazon, 90% of them was five-star reviews. Just another example of large corporate uh, America and its companies uh, really getting on kind of the social justice bandwagon and certainly standing against the pro-life cause. 
Well, when we return, we'll review a handful of other news items before we move on to some theological discussion here on the Preacher Cast. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Well, sad news this week for a Christian missionary in Haiti who was murdered. Pastor and missionary John Jacob Paul died last Tuesday after a targeted shooting in the country of Haiti. As the director of Souls Winning Ministries based in La Plaine, Haiti, Paul served the people there for 17 years, starting a ministry to orphan children, planting churches across the country, and establishing a Bible college. Paul had notably faced off with voodoo priests who told him to leave or to die, to which Paul said this, quote, King Jesus is taking over Haiti. It is time for you to repent and come to Jesus or leave. Since then, the voodoo priests who threatened Paul have left Haiti, died, or have come to Christ. We thank God for this missionary and his bravery in face of the voodoo religion there. And we're reminded of Psalm 116, verse 15, which says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Well, let's turn our attention now to the country of France, where we receive the sad news that France has greenlighted late-term abortion. It turns out the French National Assembly voted this month in favor of a bill to effectively legalize the murder of unborn babies for any reason up to the moment of birth. Now, around 220,000 babies die from abortion each year in the country of France. And the National Assembly also voted for state-funded artificial procreation for women living in uh, relationships, same-sex relationships with other women. Well, let's go across the channel now to news coming out of England. England admits COVID death numbers were inflated by 10%. That is to say about 10% or 4,170 deaths will be removed from England's coronavirus death toll after updating their tracking method. Meanwhile, the United Kingdom's economy fell into recession for the first time in 11 years due to coronavirus lockdowns. Last Sunday, New England celebrated 100 days. Uh, Excuse me, not New England, New Zealand (laughs) celebrated 100 days since any spreading of the coronavirus, although four new cases popped up since then. Last Tuesday, Russia became the first country to approve a coronavirus vaccine, but scientists warned that it has not been thoroughly tested. And on last Wednesday, in America's coronavirus epicenter of New York, the infection rate fell below 1%, and schools across the state are set to reopen this fall. Well, we move across the country to California, where California County declares itself a sanctuary for churches. In fact, that is to say specifically California's San Lupus Obispo County and its district attorney, Dan Dow, has declared his county as a sanctuary county for churches. Dow said he will not prosecute churches that meet for worship and sing in their building, activities which California Governor Gavin Newsom has banned in most counties during the coronavirus pandemic in the state of California. Listen here to Dan uh, to Dow's comments. He says this, quote, Today in 2020, more than ever, we need more people attending their houses of worship and seeking help from the Almighty for an answer to the coronavirus. 
I'm reminded of Romans chapter 13, verse 3, which says this, that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Well, the presidential election here in the United States is ramped up this week with Joe Biden's choice of uh, a running mate, Kamala Harris, from California. And President Donald Trump uh, wasted no time taking shots at the Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden, uh, last week, saying that the former vice president uh, president follows a radical left agenda opposing God and the Bible. Although Biden identifies as a Catholic, Trump told reporters he couldn't see how a man of deep religion could agree with the Biden-Sanders manifesto, which supports abortion and sexually perverted lifestyles. And turning from news about politics to evangelical, evangelical leader Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham announced he will be leading a prayer march in Washington, D.C. next month ahead of the November election. During these times of national turmoil, Graham said he wants to point the nation to God, not to politics, saying such a turn was the country's only hope. He will lead a prayer march in Washington, D.C. and call people to prayer ahead of our November elections. And then finally, uh, we turn to news about uh, testimonies of Christian men who have been set free from sexual sin. This story comes from biblical counselor Luke Imperato, who is a counselor with Pure Life Ministries based in Williamstown, Kentucky. Now, what's interesting here is that uh, this is a man you would think that would not be very likely to become addicted to pornography. And yet he writes this about his own struggles with pornography. He says, quote, I grew up in a Christian family, grew up homeschooled in a conservative home, and was exposed to pornography at a young age, probably around 12 or 13, I think. And that was the first time that I viewed it, end quote. Ultimately, his addiction to pornography not only became increasingly deviant, but it led to a double life. He describes it in this way, quote, as time went on, the pornography I was viewing got worse and worse, which is common. And then, by the time I was in my 20s, I started acting out. By my late 20s, was visiting massage parlors and hiring prostitutes until I finally was exposed. My whole double life got exposed, end quote. Well, thankfully, Mr. Imperator's uh, pastor recommended a nine-month-long residential treatment program, uh, the Pure Life Ministries in Williamtown, Kentucky, to which uh, this man belonged. And here's what Imperato said about that, quote, When I reached out to my pastor, he recommended Pure Life Ministries, and I'm so glad that I came. The person who would be interested in coming to Pure Life Ministries residential program is someone who has really come to the end of their fight, and they want to do everything they can to find freedom. If that's the position they're in and they're desperate and willing to do whatever it takes, then this residential program is life-changing. He goes on to say, I went through the residential program myself in 2015. Phenomenal. So I would highly recommend it. If you're looking to be radical and do everything you possibly can to deal with this addiction, this residential program is the way to go. Well, Dustin Smith, another graduate of this residential program, shared his testimony of addiction to pornography, followed by th freedom through Christ. Here's how he describes his journey. Quote, growing up, I was raised in a good Christian home, you would say. Some friends in elementary school kind of exposed me to some stuff that otherwise I probably wouldn't have been at such a young age, around age nine. I went on the internet, and what started is just looking up some images or questions, things I wanted to know, as a kid led to my first seeing pornography. 
He goes on to say, when I first saw the pornographic images, it woke something up in me that I didn't even know was there, a strong desire for what I was seeing. I had a sense of shame and guilt, and I always felt very dirty afterwards. From freshman year to senior year, the amount of pornography I was looking at probably doubled to tripled, and I was just being taken over in my life. Well, Mr. Smith goes on to say that his addiction to pornography became crippling, leading to a life of promiscuity and depression. He writes this, quote, I reached the point where viewing sex online just wasn't enough. I was under the constant reminder that I was a failure. I couldn't be a good Christian. I couldn't say no to this stuff. I hated my life for it. But during the nine months that I was at Pure Life, God showed me Jesus again in a way that I hadn't seen Jesus since the time when I first met him. By God's grace, I'm not the same guy I was five years ago. There's still trials, there are still temptations, but Jesus is a foundation in my life like he's never been before. Dear friends, if you know anyone in your ministry uh, who needs a residential program, who've really come to the end of their ropes, I want to recommend this Pure Life program. This Williamstown, Kentucky is actually the site of the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. And Pure Life offers a one-time over-the-phone counseling session, a 12-week-long over-the-phone counseling uh, program, or their nine-month-long residential program there based in Williamstown. And so uh, you can reach out to Pure Life and uh, take a look at what they have to offer. could be a blessing for someone in your church. And let me remind you as we wrap up the news this week, 1 John 1 verse 9 says this, quote, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. Okay, well, when we come back after the break, I'm going to take up a very interesting question in Christian theology that uh, is somewhat speculative, but I think many people will ask about. It might be a help in your uh, ministry, dear preacher. What age will we appear to be in heaven? What age will we appear in heaven? More on that when we return after the break. that the human body changes radically from conception to, say, age 90 or 100. So one of the questions that people often ask is, at what stage in bodily progression, kind of age-wise, will our resurrected bodies appear? Uh, We are told that there will be children in heaven. Um, Will there be children? (laughs) Will there be elderly folks? Or will there be a range of age appearances? Uh, Will we appear the age at which we died, like Jesus did apparently, or younger or older? Or will we appear in, say, our early to mid-20s in the prime of our life? Well, this is one of those questions that I think ministers get asked quite a bit. This is one of those areas where, of course, we have to speculate. We don't have direct uh, biblical teaching on this, uh, but we do have the direct biblical teaching of having real, actual human Uh, bodies uh, as created by God, not subject to sin and death and suffering. So we can say some things pretty confidently and other things we have to say uh, somewhat humbly, okay? We can expect, for example, continuity of appearance. 
and that just as Jesus looked like the Jesus that he was, we will we will look like the people that we were. I mean, I'll look like Matthew. You'll look like you. We'll be able to recognize each other and all that. But as for the challenging question of, uh, for example, when an elderly person dies, will that person look elderly? We, I think, would assume not, because there is a kind of peak of physical vitality in this life, uh, and, and whatever that age is, uh, many of you listening might think, okay, I'm past that. Uh, maybe that peak is in our 20s or early 30s, I don't know. Uh, we still have the benefits of many good things about us as we develop more with age, but physically there is kind of a passing of a prime moment or a peak. And this is why historically many theologians have speculated uh, that perhaps the peak is the age of Jesus, our perfect Savior, when he died. And often it's thought that uh, he died at either age 30 or 33, different, uh, depending on different perspectives. Uh, Peter Lombard, the medieval theologian, argued uh, that, for example. Thomas Aquinas made the same arguments, that when Christ died, he was 33, and therefore we will all be 33 years old in the resurrection. I'm not sure that you can totally fall for that logic, but it is a kind of interesting idea, and it's certainly possible. Um, I think one of the the interesting dynamics of, of what age we will be in heaven comes from an understanding of all the research that's been done on DNA. Uh, if our resurrected bodies have DNA, it could actually be a means that God uses for resurrection. Of course, he doesn't need to use a means, but when they have found the DNA of Egyptian pharaohs, there are thousands of years old. It's actual DNA, and if we had the ability, we could reconstruct a person by creating a clone. That itself, I think, suggests there could be continuity between us at our prime. Now, regarding the elderly in the resurrection, we could speculate that the older person becomes a younger person again, but in a, a body without suffering. However, the question becomes, what about those people who never reached their prime? What about children who have died? Um, you know, I uh, several weeks back, I was uh, working uh, as a chaplain in the hospital, and I had to respond to a patient encounter in a call where uh, a mother had delivered a, a stillborn baby, a little girl, very beautiful. And um, obviously a difficult moment, of course, very, very sad and tragic. And uh, the mother, and those in the room, even the nursing staff kind of needed comforting because I think it's a hard uh, thing. But um, what will that baby appear to be like in uh, the resurrection? Um, what do we uh, we do have some passages, um, for example, in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 65 that seem to clearly have some children on the new earth, even though I don't know how literal we're meant to understand that. Um, I think one possibility is that they could be resurrected at the age they were when they died. If that's the case, then God would not fast forward. He would not skip any stage. And I think in some ways that would almost make sense that there would not be a skipping of stages, but that they as children could literally grow up on the new earth towards their, their prime. Um, that is speculation, but to me it would fit beautifully with Luke 6 and other passages where God brings comfort to the mourners and in the sense that you know, you've been through this, but I will compensate in the world to come in the resurrection. Um, you've experienced mourning. I will give you laughter. You were deprived of raising a child who died at a young age. Maybe you will be able to be there with your child as he or she grows up on the new earth without threat of death or harm or abuse or anything else. 
you know, as I think about that, it would be just like our God to do that. I mean, think of the rejoicing there will be in contrast to the loss and the misery and the suffering on earth. Uh, And that will be celebrated for all eternity because people will think, you know what? I loved raising my kids on the old earth, but wow, to have grown up here on the new earth, amazing. And obviously there's so much more to learn and discuss uh, about heaven. And uh, I I think this is a big topic, but uh, I'm inclined to think that we'll be around the age of what the human prime is in in the 20s or 30s, just because that seems to be the progression to where we mature. But uh, I certainly don't think that I'm going to hold to that view dogmatically by any stretch of the imagination. So I at least hope that that helps uh, your imagination for what age we might be and gets you uh, thinking a little bit profitably uh, down uh, the corridors of, uh, (laughs) of that interesting question. One more focus upon an issue of theology, practical theology, ecclesial theology, which comes from a new study which demonstrates that liberal theology doesn't really save shrinking congregations. Now, shrinking church congregations have been a problem in the West for many years now, particularly for mainline Protestant denominations. For example, a recent study showed that since the 1960s, Canada's mainline Protestant denominations—these are uh, churches made up of the Anglican, Lutheran, Presbyterian, and United churches—have lost anywhere between 40 to 60 percent of their memberships. Now, what's interesting is that in light of this uh, uh, phenomenon of shrinking, diminishing congregations— Pastors actually have been encouraged by seminary faculty and others to adopt liberal theology to somehow stem this exodus. But actually, a new study suggests that liberal congregations are still shrinking, while actually conservative theological congregations are growing. And in a summary of his research, the researcher David uh, Haskell, a professor of religion and culture at Wilfrid Laurier University, pointed out that uh, actually 20 years ago, John Shelby Spong, an American bishop in the Episcopal Church, very liberal, provided a a kind of influential solution to halt the losses in the church in a book that he wrote called Why Christianity Must Change or Die. And his basic idea was that congregations would grow if churches abandoned their literal interpretation of the Bible and transformed along with changing times. And the researcher, David Haskell, says this. He says, Dr. Spong was attempting to, quote, give intellectual respectability to religious ideas that on the surface might appear far-fetched to modern audiences, end quote. Now, due to the praise this approach uh, received, it's been practiced for many years, actually, in many mainline churches as well as taught in seminaries. But the question behind this study that I've referenced is, 
has this liberal teaching caused churches to grow? And the answer is absolutely not, not according to Haskell's research. And during a five-year study of 22 mainline congregations in uh, Ontario, Canada, uh, Dr. Haskell and his colleagues discovered something that actually went against the conservative or the conventional wisdom. They say, quote, conservative Protestant theology, with its more literal view of the Bible, is a significant predictor of church growth, while liberal theology leads to decline. Now, dear ministers, it shouldn't be surprising to Bible-believing Christians that liberal theology doesn't attract crowds. Uh, liberal theology, such as that advocated by Spong, it ignores and distorts and deeply compromises God's Word. And what's the point of going to church if the Bible is simply a book of spiritual and moral lessons that may or may, may, or may not be true and certainly are not historically real? Uh, in that case, I would suggest um, the liberal churches have become more of a social club that requires little from those who attend. So the question is, why not just go to the gym or the golf course or the bar instead? And the reality is this approach since the 1960s in trying to make the Bible palatable to those who willfully reject the supernatural anyway, um, they've simply robbed God's word of its power. You know, 2 Peter 3 and verse 5 says this, this, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, etc. The thing is, God's word and good doctrine is powerful. That's why we read this from Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In fact, Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says this, that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 17, to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it's one of the reasons why ministers of the gospel are commended again and again in the Bible for teaching and practicing sound doctrine. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And again, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 6, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Dear ministers, let me suggest the key to church growth isn't a watering down of God's word. Pastors and teachers are called to teach sound doctrine, not man's interpretation and compromising God's word word. We have a number of studies uh, that have shown that many young people are leaving the church by their 20s, and uh, the reasons for uh, 20-somethings leaving the church are quite revealing. It turns out that throughout their many years in church and Sunday school, young people were rarely ever taught to defend their faith. They weren't taught that the Bible provides the true biological and astronomical and geological and anthropological history of the universe. 
Uh, the Bible wasn't connected and grounded in true history for young people. And for that reason, most young people either never had their questions answered or were given answers that compromised God's Word by adding man's ideas into the text and reinterpreting God's clear words. And those who were given such an answer usually recognized and actually were kind of repelled by the hypocrisy they saw in teaching the Bible, but not accepting its authority or believing what it says. Well, the encouragement from me to you is to teach our people God's Word and give them solid answers. In fact, according to this study that I've been referencing, conservative churches in Canada are growing. Why is that? I believe it's because they treat the Bible as the infallible Word of God that it is, an attractive aroma to God's people. Perhaps they even teach their young people to defend their faith. faith. And so I leave you with this. If you want to see a new reformation in this generation, it needs to begin with teaching young people, the future leaders of the church, to know what they believe and why they believe it. And they need solid answers to their questions, and they need to see how the Bible connects with real history. I want to encourage you, dear friends, to uh, surf over to Anchor, like Anchor, a ship's anchor, anchor.fn forward slash PreacherCast. And check out, I have about 20 different episodes of what I call Three Minutes to a Stronger Faith. This is a weekly apologetics podcast that I put out every week, and uh, it's a helpful tool. Three minutes, once a week, that'll give you uh, a biblical reflection on, a various, uh, on various topics related to Christian apologetics, and I think that that will be helpful uh, for you. Okay, when we return after the break, we're going to wrap up, and I have a book recommendation for you before we cut out from the Preacher Cast for this week. I appreciate you joining me each and every week for another look at the news, for an item uh, related to theology and the church, and then for a book review, and I pray that this helps your ministry, dear friend. Well, if you don't know this about me, I'm a huge fan of Alex and Stephen Kendrick, uh, who came out of uh, Sherwood Baptist Church, still there in Albany, Georgia, and who had a vision to transform our culture by making quality Christian movies. And they've done exactly that. Uh, they've made films like Overcomer and Courageous and Fireproof and Facing the Giants. And you know, it's so funny, each one of those movies in their own way, including the film War Room, have always been very helpful and transformative for me as a Christian disciple. I love the Kendrick Brothers' vision and for what they've wanted to do in the Christian movie space. And I would suggest some of the best Christian movies out there have been generated by these two brothers. Well, back in 2003, they released their very first film, and the film was called Flywheel. You know what a flywheel is in a car? 
and, and that's where the name of the movie comes from. But it turns out that uh, early on in this movie ministry, the Kendrick brothers wanted to partner with really good writers to basically uh, uh, partner with them to create a novelization of their movie script. And so they did this back in uh, 2003 and uh, partnered with a, a writer named Eric Wilson. And uh, uh, they took the script that Alex and Stephen Kendrick had written, and Eric Wilson really turned it into something pretty special. Tommy Nelson or Thomas Nelson Publishers has put out this book, and uh, it's a novelization of this movie, Flywheel. And the premise behind the, the movie title and this film is uh, that in every man's life, there's a kind of turning point. And uh, the book centers on a man named Jay Austin. And Jay Austin wants to sell used cars in the worst way. And that's exactly how he does business at his dealership. He promises much more than he can ever deliver. He'll do whatever it takes to sell a car, and his manipulative ways permeate all of his relationships as a used car salesman. Even his wife and son know they can't really trust him. But over the course of the book, as Jay works on restoring a kind of classic convertible, he begins to see that God is working on actually restoring him as well. And what happens over the course of the book is he comes face-to-face with the reality of how he truly conducts himself and uh, a, a kind of poignant moment in the film after he sold a car to a minister and the minister prays for Jay Austin and says, Lord, may you treat Mr. Austin the way he's treated me in this deal. And the minister wasn't trying to be ironic. He, he thought he had gotten a good deal in the car and he was just trying to uh, bless Jay Austin. God does that, exactly that and it shakes him up. And what begins is kind of the ride of his life as he learns to honor God with his business and his relationships and, and even his very life. And so... Don't know if you've seen the film. If you haven't, it's their very first. If memory serves, I think they produced this film from something like $37,000. So the definition of a low-budget film. But uh, it's not as polished as Overcomer or Courageous or any of those. But it's, it's a good film with a good story. And I think Eric Wilson has created a really nice novel off of the script. And so my, my book recommendation is not a deep text on theology this week, but uh, it certainly uh, moved my heart as a man, and I recommend it to you. The book is Flywheel, uh, based on the original uh, movie by Alex Kendrick and Stephen Kendrick, novelized by Eric Wilson. Go and check that out this week, and I hope that it'll be a blessing uh, to you. Okay, friends, it's been a pleasure to be with you today. My name's Matthew Dowling, the host for the Preacher Cast. This is a discussion of Reformed Christianity, the Church, and Life in Christ, a podcast dedicated to sharing the rich theological fruit of the Protestant Reformation. This has been the August 15th, 2020 edition of the Preacher Cast. And until next time, dear friends, may God bless you. <music>